when I think about SaaS businesses, it is about that repeat experience and continual customer relationship. And in order to maintain that relationship, enhance it, continue to build it, you need a complete picture of your customer and all the things that they're doing with your business, interacting, their questions, etc. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Growth Hub podcast. We recently got to talk to Katrina Wong, who is the Vice President of Product Marketing and Demand Generation at Twilio Segment. Katrina has had an incredible career in SaaS. She has spent over 15 years growing and scaling SaaS companies, especially those early stage startups who have needed to scale up quickly. So obviously we wanted to hear all about her advice on how to create effective growth strategies. I also enjoyed her advice on how to get the internal buy-in for your growth strategy. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe I'm a little biased, but I get excited every time someone finds customer research and customer insights important. And Katrina talked a lot about that. So here we go for episode 86 of the Growth Hub podcast with Katrina Wong on how to build an an effective growth strategy. Welcome, Katrina, and thank you so much for coming to talk to us about growth strategies. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. It's always so nice to have a conversation about marketing and growth, and uh, I'm super passionate about working with startups uh, that are looking to scale, so thank you. Great. So we had a little chat earlier and we agreed that we would be as concrete and as helpful to our listeners as possible by giving them plenty of tactical advice. But before we dive into those, let's kind of cover our basis first. So we're obviously talking about growth strategies today, but then companies tend to have like business strategies, sales strategies, marketing strategies, who knows how many strategies companies have. Uh, When you specifically talk about uh, growth strategy, what do you mean and why should companies create one? Um, Okay, so there are a couple of things. um, You know, when I think about a growth strategy, it really is that glue and it ties together your sales and marketing strategies in order to support your business strategy. So taking the playbook analogy. So if you think about this as a playbook, growth is about your well-orchestrated plays that require sales and marketing and product development to be in lockstep. Um, You know, the other thing that I'll point out, and I'm sure we'll get to later, is that your strategy needs to support the different stages of your business because you will have different objectives um, that you're bringing in, you know, from from you bringing your first customers to earning your, you know, next... um, revenue milestone, maybe that's a million, maybe that's 10 million. So um, it's important to have that glue for all of your strategies. And I see that really being the growth strategy. So um, I'm kind of playing a tiny bit of devil's advocate here. Um, Isn't it enough that uh, if company has an overall business strategy and they know how to put it in action, 
wouldn't that be kind of sufficient? Enough. Great question. Um, a business strategy can be something like let's sell more software or let's go after X market or let's, you know, create a new line of business. Um, the what, as in what are we actually doing and the how, as in how are we actually going to do that? That's what I think a growth strategy is. And that's what makes it so powerful because typically the business strategy is at a super high level and then they say, take action, but it's the how and the what you're doing that makes a growth strategy so powerful. Okay, so um, let's look at uh, growth strategies uh, a bit deeper. What are some of the things that uh, specifically a growth strategy should address and what are some of the key elements in it? Um, I always come back to putting the customer at the center of your growth strategy. So that's a major key element. Um, what I typically recommend to startups that I'm advising is to look for patterns in your customer behavior. So this might be five to 10 of your top deals if you're a B2B business and you're just starting out, or if you're a consumer business, um, you know, we're in luck because you have a lot more data. In that case, you look at the top segment of your customers. Uh, then understand these patterns. Uh, it's often a lot more than you know who your customers are and the problems you're looking to solve. Um, you got to look a little deeper. Look for compelling events. Why did they buy? What caused them to buy? What was that business need that actually drove it? Um, what was you know? In other words, what was that one thing that sent them down the path of buying your product? Uh, net net is that. Focusing on your customer is key, but the other thing you have to think about is, you know, really cherry picking one or two pain points and how you do your research about one of, you know, these one or two pain points does make a difference. So if you can talk to your customers live, do that. Um, and then to kind of round it out, it's really about understanding your customers deeply so that you're able to create a strategy that resonates with your ultimate target audience. Um, kind of going off a little bit off script here, but um, uh, you just talked about understanding the, the customer and, and the pain points. So obviously that is something that you have to do before you even, even do the growth strategy. Am I reading you correctly? That's right. That's right. That's right. Um and, you know, getting that right, I mean, there is, you know, there's research involved, but there's also an art to how you test your hypotheses. And so what you want to do is start, you know, because sometimes you, you don't know, right? And you're unable, if you're, if you're just looking at your first couple of customers, you have to start with the hypotheses. Yeah. Um, most, you know, most, you know, uh, startups, you know, start talking to customers and their target audience before they even bill their product. Yeah. Um, I, I get into this a little bit later, or, or I was planning to, which is, you know, at an early earlier stage startup, it really depends on you know where you are um, uh, in terms of your company journey. But you want to stay open because nine out of ten times, you know, when you start building a product and understanding your customer, it truly evolves, and sometimes you end up building a very different product from what you had imagined. 
So, you know, be curious, stay open is kind of, you know, my mantra um, early in your journey. Um, okay, so that's really interesting. What are some of the other things that uh, uh, that growth strategies should include? I call this concept the value exchange. So what you really want to do once you understand your customer and you have your hypotheses is you want to create that, that right experience for your customer. So this is landing the right message at the right time. And if you can, at the right channel, um, all of that is key. Uh, so the value exchange, um, I oftentimes anchor on this. I call it the give to get. So every interaction that have you have with your customer today needs to be frictionless and it needs to provide some value in exchange for the time that they're spending with you. In other words, what are they getting in return? So an example is you can have your customers download, you know, a piece of content um, and it leaves a far better impression on your prospects if you're able to uh, teach them something in the two, three minutes that they take to read the content. So, you know, depending on, you know, where they are in their journey, is it, you know, is it that they want to go deeper? They want a richer tutorial. Do they want an actual business case? Um, do they need to understand ROI? So an example that, you know, um, just a recent example is that we started uh, creating RFPs, requests for, for proposal guides, because, um, you know, CDPs are a new um, technology for a lot of our buyers. And so they needed to know how to even um, assess a good CDP solution. So things like that. So another element of um, your growth strategy, um, you know, in addition to understanding your customer and the value exchange, it's really ensuring that to the best of your ability, you have this universal view of the customer. So today, there are so many customer touch points. They're pretty disparate. And honestly, as a marketer, getting a centralized view of your customer from all these different systems, from all these different touch points is pretty hard. And when I think about SaaS businesses, it is about that repeat experience and continual customer relationship. And in order to maintain that relationship, enhance it, continue to build it, you need a complete picture of your customer and all the things that they're doing with your business, interacting, their questions, et cetera. So, um, so you know, to the best of your ability, it is about coalescing all of that data so that you understand what part of the journey your customer is on. Um, that also brings up a point that I wanted to touch on for marketers, which is privacy, mm -hmm. right? Um, as long as I can remember as a marketer, right? Like, like we all want to do what's right, but the technology wasn't there for us to actually capture, you know, consented data, what customers want to offer to you. Because I think putting my, you know, customer hat on, like when I buy products, I actually don't mind providing preferences because I rather the emails that come to me, you know, or that pretty ass that show up in Instagram, right? Like there's halo to my ass, but, you know, just the technology of being able to do that, you know, first party, be, being um, privacy centric, 
you know, first party data and consensual, it just wasn't there until very recently. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, I'm excited for marketers. I think the bar is high for us in marketing. And these days with the right technology, we're actually doing what's right for consumers and for ourselves. But um, if you um, think about kind of uh, starting the building the strategy, um, what kind of what kind of things that um, you think that companies should kind of figure out beforehand before they jump into it and start building it? Yeah, another great question. Um, I think companies need to be crystal clear on what they're making the fight about. So what value do you offer to your customers at every stage of their journey? So you have to think about what the ask from your customers is, you know, across, you know, uh, this journey. Um, so there are a lot of ways you can do this. Um, you know, for example, right, customers are going to want to learn. And so you can offer a lot, a lot of content, right? But you have to be very cognizant that your content is adding value and they are actually learning versus a pretty piece of content that just scratches the surface. Um, of something you're trying to communicate. Um, I do see that a lot, um, you know, um, out in the market. Um, and I think the other thing is this concept of um, a continued relationship with your customers. So um, there is understanding your customers and you do that initial research, but it's definitely not a one-time thing. And sometimes you're almost tempted to go, oh my gosh, that was a great nugget I found and I'm just gonna triple down on it. And before you know it, you're like, wait a second, you know, that's been our strategy for a year and a half. Um, so the idea is, you know, build that muscle so that you're constantly listening to your customers because at the end of the day, you need to tailor your comps as they're evolving, right? You're evolving and what the market, the market that they're creating is evolving too right? Because business is always evolving. Um, the third thing, and I touched on this a little earlier, um, is get your data, you know, kind of under control, right? Data is really behind everything. You know, when I think about companies that do personalization really well, whether it's Amazon, you come on and you log in and you see your login page, which is really different. My login page is so different from my husband's, right? Because it's so tailored to me. Or say a company like Netflix, um, I finished watching Bridgerton and the next perfect show kind of shows up and I was like, oh, I think I actually would want to see that show. These companies are able to create just very tailored, super personalized experiences because they have a good grasp of data, right? They understand our preferences. Um, so that's a little preview into, you know, what the future holds, you know, for all of us um, as marketers. Um, I love that phrase, get your data under control, because it makes it sound <laughs> like data is roguely running around and you need to get hold of it. Um, it usually is. Kind of is, yes. <laughs> Um, I think this is a, a good point to talk a little bit more about those those um, different stages that uh, growth gro that company can go through in their growth. So 
obviously i think it's obvious for you and and most people is that you know strategy depends on the stage a company is in so i thought that we mm-hmm. could uh, look at the look at some examples maybe look at the what companies need to take into consideration in their growth strategies in different stages of of their growth so um, how about we start with an early stage company? What do you think is something that they need to uh, keep in mind when they are planning their growth strategies at that stage? Absolutely. Um, if you're an early stage startup and say you're working on getting your first customers, focus on product market fit and really, really hone in on if your product is solving the problem you think you want to solve for your customers. Um, I alluded to this earlier, which is uh, you need to be flexible because most founders that I've worked with, right, they have a hypothesis and you start out and where you end up even a year out or certainly three to four years out, the product that you end up building eventually at scale can be very different. Um, so for an early stage startup, I would focus on getting your first 20 customers. And if you're beyond that, maybe your first you know, 150 and 200 customers. And um, it's okay to actually cast a wider net and not, you know, force a focus because you're learning, right? And so this first of cost, uh, this first set of customers, these are the customers that you are now going on a journey with, and they will help you refine your product and you know, or offering um, over time. And one of the biggest challenges I see at this stage of growth is getting too tied to your initial idea or hypothesis. So this could be you know, at the product level, or it could even be how you go to market, right? Or even who your customers are. Um, it's really, really important to be super open because at the end of the day, if you're early stage and you don't have your initial like, set of customers, you've probably not found product market yet, right? And so when I work with a lot of startups, I'm like, this is the creative process. Like this is the innovation. Enjoy this process of discovery because it's pretty precious. Cool. So um, how about the next milestone? That's that's usually for a lot of companies, it's the next, you know, 10 million or so. Yeah, that next milestone, you're right. It really is that next, you know, tens of millions of revenue. And so roughly speaking, it's about figuring out which growth levers you want to double down on. So the classic question these days is, and, you know, of course, this depends on your product is, can you do product-led growth? Can you only do product-led growth? Do you need salespeople at all, right? And for most companies I've seen, it truly is a combination of both. And here's why, because eventually, or maybe right off the bat, you're looking to move up to an enterprise and sell to larger companies, have larger deals, you know, kind of, kind of just level up and solve, you know, larger company problems. And for the enterprise, the buying process is a lot more complex. And so you typically do need salespeople to help your buyers navigate. And sometimes it goes as far as helping your buyers build a business case that they have to set up internally in order to buy your product. So that handholding can be pretty real real if you're targeting uh, the enterprise. So it kind of depends. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah. Um, and then I guess the next big stage is the 100 mil uh, for <laughs> companies. So what are your thoughts on, on that stage? Yeah, I used to think, um, and I've done uh, startups both from C stage, Series A to Series D to companies that have gone public and exit. So I used to think that at the 100 million and above, which is, you know, you're kind of preparing for um to become a public company or, or perhaps these days, you know, even, you know, to be acquired. Um, I used to think that everything was figured out. <laughs> I was like, you're just scaling. And earlier in my career, I did not, you know, it wasn't even attractive for me to work at a super large tech company because I felt like the innovation might not be there. Right. Um, but, um, these days I do almost exclusively later stage startups that are kind of ready for that next chapter. And I will tell you, it's quite challenging. It's still very much innovative. Um, the company I'm at, we are still builders and, you know, we're scaling. So it's, you know, at this stage, it really is, I mean, think of it like a puzzle. And what you're doing is you're figuring out how to scale your business, create leverage for yourself, all your leaders, all of your peers, right, but all within a budget. So, you know, the health of a business and um, how you're growing and all the costs associated with growing, that puzzle is key because in order to either go public or your exit nicely, it's you got to grow in a sustainable way, right? But you don't want to be so um, efficient that you're actually uh, not growing, right? So it's this interesting puzzle. Um, but by this stage, um, you should know most of your growth levers, you know, your go to market, it's really about how fast and sustainable you can do this and how fast your engine can go. Um, and and how, how fast yeah, how fast your engine can go, how fast you will need to go as you're launching new products and then monetizing. So it's also pretty exciting. Time for the ad break. This podcast is brought to you by the growth marketing agency Advanced B2B, helping B2B SaaS companies grow sustainably through marketing. Now we have a little treat for you if you head over to advancedb2b.com slash TGH to get a free marketing assessment and get some ideas for your marketing right away. So that's advancedb2b.com forward slash TGH for more info. And now back to the episode. Um... Now we've talked about what should be considered in growth strategies, but maybe we could talk about a little bit about the people. So who should be involved <laughs> creating these strategies? And who do you think are the, the crucial people that you need to uh, bring on board to create a company's growth strategy? Well... I feel like I have a bias as a marketer <laughs> and as a marketing leader. Uh, it starts with marketing. And I think of marketers as creating markets, right? We um, lead growth. Uh, but I will say that it is definitely really important to share. And oftentimes um, I find, you know, myself and my team educating, you know, um, our respective peers on the why, right? Like why 
does this growth strategy make sense? Or sometimes even why does marketing <laughs> make sense? And um, so, you know, with my peers, this would be the product leader, the sales leader. Uh, don't forget finance because it's super, super important for business. And as your business gets better, it is about that budget and growing in a healthy way. And of course, the CEO. Yeah. Um, as we all marketers here, I want to ask you about the marketers perspective on growth strategies. And um, what we sometimes see is that in-house marketers struggle to get a buy-in inside their companies for st- growth strategies. Um, they know that the strategy is needed, but they have no idea how to sell it uh, inside the organization. So have you seen that to be an issue or, um, and what kind of advice would you give to those marketers that are experiencing this challenge? Great, great question. Yes, I do see this. I see this a lot. Uh, here's something, and, and, you know, I consider this, you know, no pun intended, almost like a growth hack, right? Like a hack. Um, I think it comes down to the nomenclature that you use. So, for example, when I work with sales, I talk about how as marketers and marketers on my team, we carry a number, we hit a number, I forecast our MQLs. Um, It helps them see that a growth strategy is parallel to what they do. And effectively, what I've done is by using similar nomenclature, I've made it consumable. the same thing goes with finance. Uh, they model out their an- annual plan with a set of assumptions. So what I do when I share my plan is I will model out my assumptions for growth and show them why. So I find that getting buy-in is about translating what you're doing and making that consumable for your stakeholders. Great. So um, how about what are some of the mistakes that companies make when they are creating their growth strategies? Huh, there is a lot to unpack <laughs> here because uh, so, you know, some common uh, mistakes. Um, it's assuming, for example, that there is a silver bullet and actually not doing enough. And, and I think that desire comes from this pressure to be extremely focused. And I don't mean to not be focused, but when you think about growth and figuring out what works alongside with who your customer is and what they prefer, it is about doing a lot of different experiments and just using multiple tactics. Uh, So oftentimes, you know, uh, I myself have walked into startups where they're like, hey, just give us one thing that works. We don't wanna do a lot. And so that is uh, one common mistake. I think the other common mistake is uh, as you move from one stage of startup to the next stage of your business, it's not understanding that what got you here won't necessarily get you there. And so a tactical example is, you know, I'm all in on, you know, this channel or several channels, um, you know, for, um, for my promotion. Well, channel fatigue is a very real thing. And so, you know, what you need to do is actually diversify, think of it like a portfolio, diversify your tactics and have options um, to prevent channel fatigue. Um, um, And furthermore, when you actually cross the chasm, you're actually selling, you know, no longer to, um, 
early adopters. You're actually selling to late adopters. And then how you grow then is very, very different. So kind of this kind of brings me to my my next question that I had kind of uh, when you do have the stages in growth um, strategy and in growth, obviously, um, how often would you recommend that you would revisit the strategy? And um, yeah, pretty much would you revisit it? Great question. Um, Currently, we do annual planning and we look at our goals quarterly. It's important to have a contingency plan, say, you know, throughout the quarter. If you're not quite hitting your goals, you know, what do you kick in place? So that part is important. Um, Every six months, what we do is a deeper assessment and we assess if we should revisit our strategy. Did we get it wrong in January? And by June, there's two quarters worth of um, information. Now, what I just said is for a stable engine. So the keyword is stable, <laughs> right? Um, and, and so if it's stable, by definition, you're not going to have to keep revisiting your strategy. Now, if you're just starting out, uh, you will likely have to look at your growth strategy because your engine is not stable yet and you're learning. Um, and I don't mean by just looking at what's working or not working on a weekly basis, right? Uh, you know, but you just have to, you know, pay attention to, you know, I decided to invest in in these five, you know, growth levers, you know, are they working? Um, if you're testing a hypothesis, for example, you know, you're going to have to look at it maybe even on a weekly basis. But for much earlier stage startups, I would definitely think about assessing, you know, your strategy on a monthly basis or even a bi-monthly basis, you know, because you don't know enough uh, yet. Wow. Um, now that we have kind of covered the overall picture of, of very specific steps, we are obviously not only say and I, but I know a lot of people are also curious about, uh, Twilio, you know, your company or the company you work in. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how you drive your own growth and, and what kind of role marketing plays in it? Absolutely. So I joined Twilio by way of segment. And so for the segment business, we really do have this unfair advantage of being able to implement a CDP. And then frankly, (laughs) one that IDC says and others, they're like, you're the number one CDP, um, which, you know, we're we're very happy about. But um, what it boils down to is your instrumentation and centralizing your customer record. And once you have that, uh, it is true, you are able to power very tailored campaigns for your audience. Um, so as a marketer and you know, word out to my fellow marketers, I think there is no shortage of creative ideas, creative execution for marketers out there, but sometimes it falls short when you're not meeting your customers at where they want to be met or at the right point in their buyer's journey. So if I'm evaluating a CDP solution, for example, and I get sent content that says, what is a CDP? It just falls short for me, right? Or vice versa. I don't know what a CDP is and I'm getting content on, you know, buy a CDP for, you know, customer attribution and you're like, 
I don't even know what it does. So it's really important to understand that journey and have a complete picture of your customer. Um, yeah, it's been a really fun ride at Twilio and I'm really excited about what we have in store for 2022. Looking forward to that. Um, I think we need to start, start wrapping things up, but before we do so, maybe we can have a look into that crystal ball we all have, at least we hope we would, and think about the future for a moment. So what kind of trends do you see are coming are going to become more important and um, what are going to have an impact on growth and marketing in the future? Um, I alluded to this earlier. I think it's personalization, but specifically it's really, really good personalization and hyper personalization. So my examples earlier with Netflix and Amazon, they've kind of dominated how you do personalization and they've set that bar. They have a lot of first party data. They have amazing engineers. You know, they've built, you know, big proprietary systems and most other companies are kind of trying to get to that bar um, with the emergence of, you know, CDP's customer data platforms. Uh, essentially, we've been able to package that um, ability to do hyper personalization for and democratize it and for all companies to be able to replicate the ability to create really great, positive, fun tailored experiences for their customers. Um, at the end of the day, I think customers now kind of expect this type of personalized experience. And so, um, you know, it's important for us marketers to create something of value. What I was you know, alluding to earlier, just, you know, valuable experiences that drive delightful engagement. Um, the other thing that the other trend is, um, you know, I keep referring to this as instrumentation. Ten years ago, you couldn't actually even measure growth well, and certainly not on a minute by minute basis. Um, these days for marketers, uh, the onus is on us. The bar is high and uh, there is a lot of technology that you can put in place. Uh, to ensure that uh, what we're doing um, is uh, of high quality and uh, for the companies that we work for, that there is, uh, you know, good ROI. Mm. Great. Um, I'm, I'm definitely looking for better personalization to see that in the future, because I see a lot of, uh, a lot of not so great personalization as well. So that's right. That's right. <laughs> in our emails in particular. <laughs> Okay, so before we let you go and um, enjoy your day, we have our kind of traditional fast five questions. So I've I've been calling these this the kind of the lightning round, but don't feel like you have to answer super fast. So essentially, <laughs> we're just gonna ask you ask you five short questions and just tell us what whatever comes to your mind. So are you ready? Ready. I love these. <laughs> what book or books are you currently reading? Um, I was talking to a team member of mine and we started talking about just communications in general, given today's times and how challenging that is. So 
I'm currently reading memos from the chairman. And even though it's taken from the finance industry, uh, it's a great illustration of leadership and literally memos for different leaders. Um, and you're seeing how they communicate to their teams, uh, both when you know the company's doing well during good times as well as bad times. So that's been a really um, interesting read for me. Uh, I'm definitely somebody who will uh, have a little bit of ADD and read <laughs> a few books at a time, depending on how I feel uh, that day. So another book that I'm really enjoying, um, and it's off the bat of just my New Year's resolution and, you know, is uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Um, it's about creating daily small habits for lasting change. Uh, so I've been really, really into that uh, for this year. Uh, and then finally, uh, I've been reading a book. Um, he's a friend of mine. His name's Tom Tolley. Uh, he, he also happens to write uh, on tech for Forbes. It's called uh, Artificial Intelligence Basics. And it's a non-technical introduction to AI, which I also kind of believe is mm -hmm. the future. How about a sauce company that you love and why? I have a few. Um, one that comes to mind is Asana. You know, very practical reasons. You know, our marketing team uses their product and we are so dependent on them. <laughs> it literally powers all of our work. It's easy to use. Uh, they're one of the few workflow task management software products that are super flexible and fun to use. So I don't think we can operate uh, well without Asana. The another one is, uh, it's an oldie, but a goodie, uh, it's Box. Um, I love this one quote from Aaron Levy, the CEO founder. He said that you sometimes have to do the unscalable before you actually scale. And I think that is so true. And so from all of our examples today, they were that example of a startup that scaled and they figured out growth along the many stages of their growth, and they were able to apply different strategies, especially after going uh, after the enterprise, and that was their differentiation. So um, it's been nice to see how that company has grown. What is your favorite place to read about growth? Um, it's Saster, Jason Lincoln. He has great insights from his experience but um, what's been really nice to see is that he's also built an amazing community of SaaS leaders and practitioners that understand growth in a variety of stages of SaaS businesses. What is the most important growth metric? I tend to look at the full funnel, but if I had to pick one growth metric, the top one that comes to mind is conversion. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, what is your best piece of advice for fellow SaaS marketers? Uh, be curious. And along that, it's like always about learning and wanting to learn. So be curious. Great answers. For those best of those books, I will be adding those to my reading list. Well, that was great. That was a great conversation, Katrina. And, and thank you so much for, for joining us on the Growth Hub podcast. It was super fun and super nice to have you with us. Thank you, Bo. This is really fun. Till next time. And that's it. Thanks everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And in fact, we would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so tell us what you thought. 
anything we missed, anything you'd like us to revisit. Let's keep the conversation going on on Twitter at SaaS Growth Hub or on LinkedIn at the SaaS Growth Hub podcast. And if you don't want to miss the next episode, make sure you subscribe to Growth Hub on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or SoundCloud. Until next time, cheers! Biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are.